this is an interview with Lee Norton for Perfect Fitness.com. Um, first of all, um, slightly unrelated question, have you been watching the Olympics? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, and how have you find that so far? What's, what's, it been, what's the favourite event that's uh, been so far? Uh, I like a lot of the events. Um, I guess sprinting I, I, and the track events, I think those are pretty cool. And then obviously, like, the weightlifting is cool to watch. Um, and there's some ridiculously strong guys there. And then uh, I, I actually like the gymnastics a lot, too. I think those are cool. I guess a lot of those sports, if you do weightlifting, any sort of training, you can relate to a bit more easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, the main thing I want to talk to you about um, is kind of popular among um, even Arnie is, uh, well, he recently posted an article about this. It's called backloading, um, which you, I'm sure you'll be aware of. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Um, is it something you've ever implemented yourself or with clients? Is it something you're interested in? Um, just in general, any comments? Well, I think it's funny. Um, um, the history is circular. So we, um, nothing is new. It all just gets reinvented. Um, I've seen this stuff 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, whatever you want to call it, and people come out with it like it's new. Um, I think it's fine to have carbs at night. I mean, um, you know, there's certainly, um, there's, you know, the, the, I, the kind of the, the, the argument against eating carbs at night is that, you know, you're going to sleep, your metabolism slows down, you're more likely to store as fat. Um, that's just not true. Um, what the research shows is that actually, overall, your metabolism actually slightly speeds up from a resting metabolic rate. Uh, whenever you sleep, as long as you get into the REM sleep, that deep sleep, um, you actually have a slightly higher metabolic rate. And uh, there was actually a study done that showed that people ate that ate a greater percentage of carbs at night actually ended up losing more body fat than people that ate them earlier in the day. Now, from what I've seen of backloading, at least what's, what's been reported to me by people who follow me on Twitter and send me messages, uh, is that people are saying, okay, don't eat any carbs at all during the day, or very low, and then just eat like an enormous amount at night. Uh, I think that's pretty acidine. I think that the overall determinant of body composition is going to be your daily protein, carbon, fat intake. And I mean, people who have a better carb tolerance are going to be able to eat more carbs. But taking somebody who has a very low carb tolerance, um, who is more likely to store body fat, and just say, okay, well, if you just eat, you know, don't eat any carbs during the day and eat a ton at night, you won't gain any body fat. Um, I think that's completely bogus. Um, so I think, you know, it's fine to eat them at night, and I tend to eat more at night because I train later in the day, but I personally, my personal belief is that there's nothing magical about nighttime or morning time. The study that was done that showed that you lost more body fat eating carbs at night, I think the reason they found that was because you're basically – they were not eating any carbs during the day, so they had a long, like, essentially not, not fasting period, but a period without carbohydrates with low insulin. I think if they did it where they did most of the carbs in the morning and then kind of, you know, fasted or stayed away from carbs the rest of the day, they would have found similar results. That it wasn't the time of day that was causing it, it was the fact that they were having this prolonged restriction from carbohydrates. So, 
Um, yeah, I think that, you know, timing carbohydrates is important, but I would time them around your workout and not necessarily a time of day. Uh, if you train in the morning, you have more of your carbs in the morning. If you train at night, have more of your carbs at night. Uh, that's when you, you need them most. That's when your body can tolerate them best. And that's when I would consume them. Yeah. yeah, certainly. I think as well, practically, a lot of people have got fantastic results by front-loading carbs and even doing the exact opposite of carb backloading, where they, they take in their carbs pre-training, during training, and then have a essentially zero-carb period afterwards or, or very restricted carb. Uh, very restricted carbohydrates after training and I've experienced you know, really good body composition results from that, you know, uh, contest diets, I've seen some people implement that and it's worked great. So yeah, I totally agree and I think another point that um, I find um, quite interesting about carb backloading is the sort of psychological aspect where people seem to justify the most kind of outrageous eating habits, like it's, it's okay yeah. to, to go and eat a load of junk food because that's what I'm supposed to do, whereas in practice you, you think, well, sure that's that's you know nice every now and again maybe you can get away with it but it's it's not the healthiest approach to to a diet you know uh, around you can you can certainly justify a lot of ridiculous eating habits. Um, yeah, I mean I've seen people kind of like um, you know people have me ask me about intermittent fasting all the time. I'm not going to get into that because I've I've covered that <laughs> ad nauseum and uh, people people that follow that tend to be kind of almost zealot like, but um, you know. A lot of people use that, or even IIFYM, as a reason to just kind of binge eat. Like that's the okay. Well, I'm not, you know, eating during the day, so I'll just eat a, you know, crap load at night, and I'll just eat whatever I want. And uh, yeah, I mean, while I don't, I don't tell people, oh, don't eat these foods and don't eat these foods. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a middle of the road guy. I think, you know, a moderate, you know, a, a, a healthy amount. You know, if you want a slice of pizza. Okay, have a slice of pizza, but fit it into your protein, carbon, fat numbers. But don't eat nothing during the day and eat a whole pizza at night. I mean, that's that's just you're just trying to validate poor eating habits that way. And I, I mean, actually, it's kind of an eating disorder if you think about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've experienced that myself. I, I tried um, me and a couple of the other guys on the website with me. We tried doing ADF for a little bit, you know, alternate day fasting. And uh, it kind of creeps up on you, this idea that, oh, well, you know, because I didn't eat anything yesterday, I, I can go wild today, I can eat whatever I like, and even though you start off with the best intentions, you know, you, you might have some porridge with that protein powder in, gradually you start adding in things like chocolate bars and sweets, and, and then it becomes, because you don't see any negative body composition changes for a while with this kind of setup, in fact, it, it seems to be very good for preserving condition, if not gaining muscle. Um, I mean, I think it's quite poor for gaining muscle, actually, but um, you you just end up justifying this whole kind of almost backwards like approach to, to dieting that, you know, you're kind of punishing yourself and then kind of not rewarding yourself, but you're just, just going wild and, and, and forgetting the whole point of the diet was actually meant to be, I think, something to do with your health, and I certainly see elements of that with... Yeah, I just I discourage people from doing any kind of um, eating protocol where they're binging and fasting. You know what I mean? I just I don't think it's a healthy way to live. Um, I think you know um, I'm, I'm much more of a middle of the road kind of guy. Um, so the other main thing I want to talk to you about is um, I've noticed that you, you're going back onto um, a daily undulating periodization routine. I think you said you were going to be squatting four times a week, benching three times, deadlifting twice. Now, uh, no less than three times, actually. I read it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do, you, how do you find that in terms of stress on joints, in terms of recovery? I know there's guys that are there like John Bros who, in 
facts, you know, have athletes doing pretty much that, but you, you put, take it to a whole other level, you know, they're, they're maxing out every day, not even changing the, the kind of rep ranges or the, the load. Yeah. How do, you, how do you find that? Well, the first thing about Graz's training that a lot of people misinterpret is they're not actually, like, that's not a completely psyched up, you know, all out one rep max. That's more of like a, you just go up, you walk up to the bar, and whatever you can do that day, just kind of calm, you do it. Um, so if there's a big difference between kind of squatting like that and doing an absolute, you know, an actual one rep max where you're completely jacked up in everything you've got. I mean, that takes, that's an enormous amount of stress on your, you know, nervous system and, and everything. Um, I do like what John Broth said uh, when he was, people asked him about, you know, who say, well, I always squat one time a week because anymore more than that's overtraining. He said, if somebody kidnapped your family and held them ransom, uh, and the ransom was you had to squat, you had to increase your squat max by 100 pounds in 12 weeks, but you only squat once a week? <laughs> and the obvious answer is no, you would squat all the time, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the high-frequency routines that people, a lot of times people, you know, we have this notion of overtraining out there that, um, you know, there is such a thing as overreaching, um, but the most... What most people, when they hear the word overtraining, they think, they associate that with the muscle becomes catabolic and you do not recover and you lose muscle mass. That has never, ever, ever, ever been shown. Um, overreaching is basically your performance goes down, um, you lose a little bit of strength, you lose a little bit of endurance, um, your hormonal profile may be kind of whacked and you lose the drive to train. You don't want to train. Um, but actually what they've shown in research is when you overreach like that, when you come back out of that, when you allow yourself some recovery after that, you actually get like almost like a snapback effect to where you you actualize all those gains and you actually end up making a, a ton of gains in that snapback period. Um, so I like uh, what uh, Mike, so my friend Dr. Mike Zordos told me one time, he said, I always tell people, who gives a shit what you feel like while you train? As long as you get stronger at the end of the cycle and you kill it on meet day, you know, you set new you set new personal records. Who cares if you don't feel good while you're training? You're not supposed to feel good. You're supposed to. If you're training hard, you're supposed to feel fatigued. You're supposed to be hard. Um, you know, your your worst your worst session should be when you're training because you want your best session to be when you're on the platform or when you're trying to perform. Um, you know, so I think people need to get away from it. You know, people get this idea, okay, I'm sore, I'm tired, you know, I, I need, I'm obviously overtrained. Well, no, you're probably not. You probably just need to suck it up. Um, and maybe you're overreached, but that's actually a good thing because whenever you finally back off that a little bit, you're going to actualize those gains. So this idea that we've got to avoid any kind of overtraining or overreaching is kind of garbage. Um, the nice thing, the other thing about high frequency routines and high volume routines is that you're, people don't think about weightlifting as a skill, but it is a skill. It's, you know, these Olympic lifters, Olympic lifters, perfect example. They train that lift every single day, every day, because it's a skill. They need to get better at that skill. Um, if you're a, if you're a baseball player, do you only throw a, a ball once a week because you're worried about overtraining your arm? No, you, you're going to throw every day. If you're a soccer player, do you only practice, uh, well, I guess over there would be football. Um, 
do you only practice kicks? You know, do you only practice on the field once a week because you're worried about overtraining? No, you practice every single day because that's a skill you need to hone and acquire. Um, same thing with weightlifting. Um, so the thing about, you know, these periodization routines that people need to realize is that most times you should not be training to failure. Uh, if you're training to failure every single workout, yes, you're going to overreach and you're going to overreach fast and you're going to overtrain fast. Um, but if you're taking it to, you know, heavy but sub-maximal, you're going to be able to repeat that several times and you're going to get the benefits of all that uh, constructive, continuous practice. You know, that continuous practice can make you much better at the, at the, at the lift. Um, so as far as stress on the body, stress on the joints, I mean, that's why you vary the rep ranges. That's why you vary the, the loads because you don't want to be going, you know, to a three rep max every single time you train. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, you're going to have a little dinks and dunks here and there, but that's, you know, the point of periodization is you have periods of high intensity and periods of low intensity to recover from that. Um, the other thing is, too, is, you know, with a high-frequency routine, you will basically learn good technique or you will get injured. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a probability of that, but, you know, it's about being smart. It's about using good form and, um, you know, making sure that um, you listen to your body and that if you need to, you know, back off for a day that you do that. Because, I mean, there's a difference between muscle soreness and the kind of, you know, you know, where you've strained something or you've, you know, inflamed something, you know, that kind of sort of, and most people can recognize the difference between those two things. Yeah. I think that drives home the point that, like you say, a lot of it is being able to actually look at, look objectively your own, uh, well, your own feedback again, sort of biomechanical feedback from day-to-day -day sessions and actually regulate your own training volume. Uh, regulate the, the loads that you're using it, because I, we, we find um, with our clients that when we work on a sort of undulating periodization program where we're just saying work up to like a max triple or something or max set of five which is whatever your working weight is on the day people tend to actually progress a lot better than when we try and prescribe um, fixed percentages uh, a lot of the time now obviously those are handy if you, if you have I guess some sort of powerlifting meet coming up and you, and you actually need to be able to plan things out and know where you're at um, ahead of time and then be able to work towards like a kind of peak week but, um, but yeah I totally yeah, I mean that's you know the kind of um, uh, the original daily periodization was basically based on kind of like Bulgarian stuff where it's you know the idea being that as an athlete you're not going to be your best every single time you go in there's going to be days where you feel like crap there's going to be days where you're not going to perform as well so you should base your training off you know kind of how you feel um how you're performing on that day and base your working sets off that. So there's a, there's some, like the Bulgarians will go in and they will work up to a, <laughs> sorry, uh, the Bulgarians will go in and they'll work up to a, you know, uh, they're kind of like bras, you know, they'll work up, they'll squat six times a week, work up to a max, an unpsyched max every single day. And then whatever that max is, you know, like let's say one day it's 500 pounds, then they'll back off by 10% and do, you know, sets of two to three reps with that, with whatever weight that is. So that'd be like 450 pounds they do sets with. But maybe the next day they come in and they feel terrible and their max is only, you know, 460. Well, then they back off 10% and they do working sets with, you know, would be like around 405, something like that. So, you know, they're kind of inherently self-regulating that way. 
Yeah, so um, that sort of leads me on to another question, which is um, kind of related, which is in terms of things like rep schemes, rep protocols, and managing fatigue and trying to trying to achieve hypertrophy um, while managing the load on the central nervous system. Have you experimented? Have you experimented with stuff like extended sets? Where um, actually, I don't know whether you're familiar with um, what's called Maya reps, where a guy called uh, Blade, he's really really smart guy, uh, Norwegian personal trainer, you might have read some of his articles. He basically says that what you do to try and achieve um, maximum fiber activation while minimizing fatigue is you do these sort of mini uh, sets of like threes or fives and you, you do one big extended set where you, you reach activation of the muscle fibers by doing these what's called an activation set which might just be 8 to 12 reps or something which isn't a failure but it's just at the point where you're starting to slow down and right. then you have a little rest, you do three to five more and so on. And that way, so okay, it's basically I've, I've done it before. It's, it's essentially like rest pause, kind of. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, and um, and the, the other interesting thing, and the reason I wanted to bring this up as well, is that the way he typically implements that is by um, shortening the range of motion of most of the movements he's doing to try and achieve a, a kind of occlusion effect. And I know that's something that you recently, um, I've seen some videos of you with Aaron Singh and. Uh, you know, it looks really cool, and I was just wondering to what extent you think that's a viable approach to adding in occlusion training in a very sort of safe way. And whether you think well, that's first off, I'm going to stop you. Occlusion training has never been shown to have any detrimental effects towards health. <laughs> so, at least that I've seen, um, the only way you're going to cause, um, because you're not supposed to use the wraps so tight that you you're only supposed to include venous return. Um, you're not going to be including arterial delivery of blood to a muscle. So you should never be like in a necrotic situation, and most occlusion protocols are only five to six minutes yeah. that you'll have the wraps on. There's no way you're going to cause necrosis of tissue or, or anything like that in that period of time. Um, and to, to my knowledge, to my best of my knowledge, there are no studies that have shown negative uh, side effects from occlusion training. Um, now, to answer your question, yes, you can get a mild occlusion benefit from uh, shortening that range of motion, from really focusing on a contraction, you know, and, and building those metabolic byproduct accumulation. Accumulation. And what I would say to you is that that's fine, um, and that you know, I think rest pause sets are a very uh, useful way to implement to get more activation. Um, maybe not the best thing for strength, but for hypertrophy, you know, certainly. You know, at the end of a workout, doing something like that, I think is, is perfectly reasonable. Um, I will say that occlusion has unique benefits that you're not going to get from just doing straight straight reps like that. Because tell me of another protocol that you can do where you can just walk and have hypertrophy. Because occlusion causes hypertrophy with just walking uh, in untrained people. So, um, uh, I, low intensity exercise. Um, it's not going to cause that unless you're doing enormously high reps um, going to failure, which I would say, okay, um, you can do that, and it's going to take you forever to get to that failure point, or you could just include, and you will get there much more quickly. Um, it's a lot easier, and uh, it's just a little bit more practical, in my opinion, than having to sit there and do you know 100 reps of an exercise because you're only using you know, 20% of your one rep max. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard people speculate about, you know, negative effects of occlusion and whatnot, and I can see that if you're having wraps on for 30, 40 minutes, an hour, or something like that. But, again, all of the 
and papers from uh, Jeremy Limicky, who you will look up. Um, but all of the, the, the meta-analysis I've seen on it has not shown uh, any detrimental benefits to it. But a big part of it is how tight you wrap wraps. So, like, we use new wraps for practical inclusion. And uh, you want to wrap it about a 7 out of 10 tightness. So if 10 is the maximum tightness, you can only run to about 70% of the maximum tightness. Okay, well, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, uh, fantastic answer. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, I guess, in your own training, um, you, you had the opportunity to train with guys like Ben Kulski, um, who's just a monster. And um, yes. obviously, you know, I mean, it's not like you're a weakling yourself. I mean, you've set numerous powerlifting records. You've won everything that is to win in natural bodybuilding. Um, how do you how do you find continued motivation with your training? I know you talk a lot about you know working hard on other people. You, you do that in every aspect of your life. But where does that come from for you? What what is it that keeps driving you, even though you you've achieved a lot? Uh, when I was younger, it probably came from me being insecure about people making fun of me growing up and, and wanting to prove them wrong, um, which uh, was good because it actually you know pushed me. I felt like I was. I would always feel like I'd have to work twice as hard as the guy next to me if I wanted to even get the same results as him just because uh, growing up, I never was that talented at anything. Um, I had a lot of people tell me I couldn't do things, so I just felt like, okay, people, you know, I maybe don't have good genetics or talent, but I'm, I'm going to work. If I work harder than everybody else, it's the great equalizer. Yeah. Uh, so that's where that kind of came from. As far as now, um, Basically, to keep myself motivated, I find things that are interesting to me, um, you know, little things I can pick out. So right now, like, my big motivation is to break a 1,700-pound total in raw powerlifting in a 220-pound class. Uh, and actually, the all-time drug-tested record uh, without knee wraps in powerlifting for the 220-pound class is 1,708. And I would love to have a shot at breaking that. I, I, think, I, I think that I can have a shot at breaking it. Um, so things like that keep me motivated, you know, uh, as well as just, you know, continuing progression. I've always said, you know, if you're not getting better at whatever you do, you're getting, you know, it's the same thing is getting worse. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I heard a quote one time that was, the, the enemy of the best is not the worst, it's okay, average, yeah. mediocre, you know, because that's the comfort level. Nobody's really comfortable with being the worst at something, but people can be comfortable with being average. Actually means that you've, you have achieved something notable, even if it, you know, whereas mediocrity, pretty much anyone, anyone can do that. It being the worst. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, exactly. Some people would argue that it's better to be the worst at something than it is to be mediocre. You know, um, you're gonna do it. Do it big. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, um, I'm just, I don't know, man. I, I, I've always been very intrinsically motivated, and the, my, my biggest fear in life, even when I was young was to basically be vapor and have, you know, not make an impact on the world. Um, and I realize, you know, bodybuilding, powerlifting, some people look at that as a vanity thing, and it's, you know, it's not, you know, maybe I'm not curing cancer, but I always felt like, you know, I want to put something out there, I want to contribute to the world. Um, I want to be, you know, you know, I want to be somebody of notoriety, um, you know, not for the sake of being famous or anything, but for the sake of, you know, you want to build um, a legacy. Like, that's my, my biggest goal is that when I, you know, when I'm 75 years old or when I'm dead, you know, people look back and they say, you know, 
wow, look at all the things Lane did. Um, he did it the right way. He did it with integrity. He treated people right. And look at this, you know, legacy he was able to leave. And, you know, I had my, my great uncle pass away last week. And um, he was somebody I looked up to quite a bit. He, uh, he actually paid for a large portion of my schooling uh, for college. I wouldn't be able to go to the college I went to for one for him. And uh, when I was at his funeral, it just struck me by how many people talked about how much integrity this man had and uh, how much he did for the community and, and how much of a legacy he left. And I, was, I came away actually very motivated from that. Obviously sad that I've lost a family member, but very motivated from that because it was like, you know, when you're gone, that's the only way you live on is if you leave something like that. So that's, that may seem like a very weird answer, but that kind of is my motivation for doing all this stuff. I, you know, I want to leave something that even when I'm gone, people can still look at and appreciate. No, I suppose, um, in, a, in a sense, what he's saying is you want to achieve immortality, which isn't, a, which is a pretty laudable goal. I mean, um, Doing a PhD itself, I mean, that's something which, you know, long after you've gone, people are going to be referencing, people people will know about what work you've done, and the, so even though it's not, I mean, obviously, it's on top of everything else you've done with your physique, and with your powerlifting, and like you say, with your personal life, you, you're trying to leave a mark which other people will go back and, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, Isaac Newton's famous saying, standing on the shoulders of, if I've seen further than other men, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of Giants. If you if you can be one of those people that you know, some, someone standing on your shoulders in 50, 100 years time, then that's something. It's it's, it's absolutely true. Um, I had a lot of you know, I had a lot of people tell me I couldn't do things, but I also had a lot of people that supported me, that propped me up. You know, my uncle's one of them, my grandfather's another, my parents, my great parents. Um, you know, I have great colleagues that help me out with research and everything, that supported me. Uh, I think that quote is 100% accurate if I've seen parts because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And, um, you know, a lot of what I encountered from my family and, and uh, Uncle Bill, actually, who, like I said, paid for a lot of my schooling, he just told me, he said, I don't want anything from you. All I want is that one day in the future you do this for somebody else. So that's actually, you know, one of the things I want to do in the future is, you know, start up a scholarship or something like that to my company. Um, you know, just because... That's really what it's about, is passing on this knowledge. Um, real quick, I, I, I posted on my Facebook the other day, actually, because I've worked with probably about a dozen people who have gone to become coaches themselves, um, and a few of them, you know, very highly successful are making essentially a full-time living out of it now. And I had some people ask me one time, doesn't that bother you that people worked with you, and now they, you know, now they make money off, and they're direct competitors to you? And I actually said no. First off, I'd be a hypocrite if I said yes, because I worked with Dr. Joe, Dr. Joe Kromzetsky, when I was younger. And uh, he was, when I got into coaching, he gave me his blessing and was very helpful. Um, so I'd be a huge hypocrite if I said no, or if I said yes, it bothered me. The other thing is, too, is I think there's plenty of business to go around. And if I'm good at what I do, um, it's not going to affect me. Um, if I'm good at what I do, people are going to want to hire me anyway. And I'm glad to see these other guys, you know, and gals going out and, and, and making a mark because if they're going to do it. They're going to do what I, you know, maybe what I did for them, they're going to do for somebody else. And then that person's going to do it for somebody else, and you keep passing it on. You know, it's a powerful, it's a powerful amplification. And there's just a lot of, 
the fitness industry gets a terrible rap because we do have a lot of uh, you know gurus and uh, people who are just outright shady who give bad advice, who take people's money, who have no integrity, and all they care about you know when they look at a person, all they see is dollar signs. They don't see a person, and uh, you know. I can't put all those guys out of business myself, but if I can pull up an army of coaches and trainers to put them out of business, then that would be great. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I mean, I do love the You Got Guru tweets a lot, um, and so much of it is just things which make my head spin as well when, when people come out with that nonsense. And like you say, I mean, in a way, in a way, I was going to say the only other option for you to, to now achieve additional fame in, like in another arena is to become some sort of crime fighter, um, but this in a way is, is kind of like that, you know, it's, you're not necessarily yeah. going to be Batman, but you can be the Batman of the fitness industry. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Guru Slayer, that's what I want, you know. I'm all for people having different opinions and those sorts of things, but, um, you know, when you're, when you basically act like God, you know, that, you know, you know nobody questions your word, um, that you have all the answers and if somebody, you know, a lot of these clients, like, you know, I've heard, you know, people tell me that I've worked with, you know, some, you know, gurus that, um, you know, if they asked them any question, it was like, well, just do it because I told you to do it. Don't ask me questions. Don't, you know, you don't believe, you know. And, like, yeah, I mean, you should trust your coach, but at the same time, if, you, if I can't provide a good response, if I can't provide any kind of justification, then I deserve to get fired. And I'll be honest, like sometimes I'll do things out of intuition, where it's, I'm not really sure, like exactly. I don't have a study to back it up. But if I do that, I will be straight up and tell somebody that. I'll be like, look, I'm, I'm going on a hunch here. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to give it a go. So I just, just you're just, you know, I hope you trust me on this. And I'll do it that way, you know. But I won't ever say, don't question me. You know what I mean? Well, I think I think if you if you're unable to answer questions, that that either means that you have some well, you're either incredibly arrogant or you are unable to answer the questions in the first place, and both of those things are, are bad. So it just makes you, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and I know this getting close to the half hour mark now. In fact, we've just gone over it, so um, I'm not sure if you have any time to spare now because I know we we said half an hour. I don't, man. I'm sorry. I know. I was going to say thanks so much for your time because um, I know how busy you are and I really appreciate you taking even half an hour out of your day because that's probably a lot. Um, so I'll take you off now. And I just thank you again for your time. Um, this has been Lane Norton. Speak to Ben from Tokyo Fitness. Um, have a great day, Lane. <laughs> take care. Have a great one, man.